0: You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. Hebrews 12, this is really kind of the end of the climax of the entire book of Hebrews. And then the next couple of weeks, we'll be finishing up Hebrews uh, 13, the last chapter here in, the, in our journey We're gonna come to Hebrews 12, verse 18. As I read, uh, for those of you who grew up in church and are familiar with the Bible, some of you will be like, oh, I recognize that verse. There'll be, there's several verses that are are powerful and ones that you're probably familiar with. Uh, But I I haven't always had the chance to look at this passage as a whole, as tying in some of the verses that you may be more familiar with and putting it all together. But you'll notice in this passage there's different motifs that are gonna stand out to you as we read. Theme of a mountain. There's two major mountains that are mentioned in here. There's a, there's a voice that's speaking. There's words that are spoken. There's blood that's shed. There's a kingdom that's being shaken. There are things that are being removed, and yet there's a kingdom that remains unshakable, and there's a consuming fire from beginning to end. It's an extraordinary picture of our faith and where we find ourselves in the presence of a holy God and yet being able to come before him with confidence. And so before I preach the whole message to you, uh, let's read in Hebrews uh, 12, verse 18. You can pick those things out as we go. He begins kind of with Mount Sinai. Verse 18 says, For you have not come to what may be touched. He starts with the negative. You have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. And the sound of a trumpet and a voice with whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. And here we get the change, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal or festive gathering, and to the assembly. That word assembly is really, it, it means church. You could say, and to the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Verse 25 says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject, him, if we reject the one who warns us from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth at Sinai, but now he has promised for our God is a consuming fire. Father, we come before you this morning with grateful hearts as your word just spoke to us with thanksgiving, with gratefulness in our hearts. God, we have offered to you acceptable worship. And we pray God, even as the worship that Noah gave that Lars spoke of, of pleasing aroma, a sweet smelling savor, wafting up to the heavens as we offer our praises to you May you receive our humble forms of worship the best way we know how, as we worship from our hearts, as we sit here and literally worship you as we receive the word of God, as it's preached, as it's taught, as it's read. God, help us to receive it, help us to stand in it, to believe it, to walk in faith, this race that you've set before us. May God you bless the the preaching of your word today. May you uh, make it clear, God. May you speak through it to be able to work in hearts and affect change in people's life and not just simply gain information but that you would transform our hearts from the inside out. Teach us, Lord, what it means to experience you as a consuming fire. Yet, God, we're so grateful for Jesus and what he's done for us. Lord, thank you that you speak a better word to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we have before you in this passage, like I said, a a colossal scene, a scene that I've been trying to all week, trying to figure out a way to illustrate it. And then sometimes I find it difficult to illustrate the already wonderful illustrations that are in the word, right? Classic uh, uh, preacher problem, illustrate the already clear illustrations, right? Uh, But there's this sense before us, this uh, juxtaposition, there's a big word, right? Two things that are put side by side that seem to be different. There's this paralyzing fear and an extraordinary joy and and they're kind of slammed right up against each other. It's almost two mountains that we see presented before us, a Mount Sinai and a Mount Zion. These two areas of terror and joy. Maybe sometimes we find ourselves experiencing those things right up maybe in the same locations or in the same places that we find ourselves. You know, we, we come to different places in life and we experience paralyzing terror and joy maybe all at the same time. <laughs> I can still remember uh when we found out we were pregnant with our first child charlie and maybe it's with all three of them now there's a there's at least for me maybe there's a mixture of paralyzing terror right we are having a child and extraordinary joy it it it's the happiest thing you could ever hear, like, wow, this is incredible, and I'm scared out of my mind, right? You know, this this feeling of, what am I going to do? What have I gotten myself into? Now, some of you are just like, ah, it's old hat, it's no easy for you, whatever, but for me, every time, it's like, whoa, you know, it's incredible you know every time I hike the mountain I enjoy hiking and 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 gotten to enjoy it more and more right and um you, you climb on a nice day like today uh, it's a beautiful day I know some of you actually hiked this morning probably um you go up to Mount Monadnock and it is extraordinary joy when you reach the top especially on days like today I mean it is beautiful you can see all the way to Boston on clear days it's it is almost like you get to the top and you're like, it's your own little worship service of God, right? You look out to the skies and to the heavens. And we live in an incredible, beautiful place on earth, New Hampshire, in the month of May is nice, right? You know, so we, we look out and we see this beautiful scenery of worship. It's almost as if the innumerable angels that we read earlier are praising God and singing. But have you ever been up on the top of the mountain in the middle of winter, in the middle of a storm, Right? It's a scary place <laughs> and there are times I remember this last winter I forced myself I was like I'm gonna go I'm gonna climb even though it's cold it's actually quite enjoyable you put spikes on and you go up the mountain it's a lot of fun but there's a, there was one or two times this last winter where I went up on my own and I was just going up the mountain and it was not so bad at the bottom of the mountain but you couldn't see the top because it was in a cloud Yeah. You know? And you get up to the top of the mountain and the storm started kind of building and I recognized very quickly that I I didn't want to go much further. I didn't even make it to the top that day. In fact, I ran into, I think I shared this previously in another sermon, but... I ran into someone who had lost their way and there was someone else trying to help them find their way back to the trail and they were, they were startled and scared and lost because you literally couldn't see probably, you know, a, a couple hands, a couple, there wasn't a couple feet in front of your own face, you couldn't see, it was just cloud and it was windy, it was bitter cold, there was um, ice everywhere and you're like, what are you doing up there? That's a good question, right? What are we doing up there? But the, the feeling of in that same location that I found myself a few months prior in the most beautiful, you know, in the fall where the leaves have all changed color. And in that same location on top of that mountain where the wind is just terrifyingly strong where you feel as if you can't stand up straight or you'll be blown over. And the power and the force of a storm that hasn't even built to full strength but you find yourself in this cloud, in this darkness, in this gloom, in this power. Or a few weeks ago we were um, down in in a beautiful location for vacation in Hilton Head, uh, South Carolina and it is just a beautiful place. It's a little island kind of thing. There's beaches everywhere, it's awesome. And you find yourself on vacation. I know some of you maybe even were there this last week. I think it's spring break or this last week was spring break for many of you. And you find yourself in this beautiful pristine location. And yet I remember as we were driving out, as we were kind of coming to leave, it had been a wonderful week, been a beautiful time experiencing vacation, right? And as I'm leaving, I still remember there's signs on the side of the road, and maybe you've seen this in different locations. We just grew up in the north, I don't see it, but it was uh, signs on the side of the road that said, hurricane evacuation route, you know? And And I just remember seeing that kind of juxtaposed next to each other in the sense of like, People enjoying this beautiful vacation and wonderful weather and yet in a moment's instant that can all change. A massive storm can be in and what seems like a tropical island getaway is the immediate location of the last place you want to be. Everybody get off the island and get as far away as you possibly can. Evacuate this direction. Leave the beach. That ocean that you just welcome on a nice sunny day is not the same thing on a very stormy one. And I find in my head this way of trying to grasp what the writer and the pastor is preaching to us here of these two mountains, these two feelings that he's presenting to you, terror, power, storm. And then almost in the same instance a a feeling of joy, of celebration. In a sense, the feeling that you can have where I've experienced in a funeral and then the next day I do a wedding and and you you have a feeling almost of like whiplash, you know, and and it's uh, this sense that we have even as we're reading. Mount Sinai, two incredible mountains. These motifs here at the beginning in verse 18 and 19 and 20, these, these motifs of, of there are, is this great mountain, there's these barriers, these, this powerful thunderous voice that, that cries out, that speaks. There's this fire, a blazing fire, it says in v- verse 18. So what I want us to do is further paint the scene, but not from my words. I want you to look at Exodus 19 with me. Exodus 19, and I'm gonna just, I don't know, the booth's gonna just do their best to follow along with me. We're gonna look at Exodus 19. I, I don't think I'm gonna read the whole chapter, but I just don't like skipping over things like this. I know I have limited time, but Exodus 19 and 20, um, I'm not gonna read the whole chapter, but I just want to get, you, I want you to get into the place of feeling this with the author as they write. I, I want you to put yourself there. No, it's not always the best decision to put ourselves in every passage of every Bible, but this idea of putting ourselves of what it would have been like to be at the foot of Mount Sinai and witness what they witnessed here in Exodus 19. This is after the Exodus. Maybe if you're familiar with this, they, after the Exodus, they're, they're coming into the wilderness and they come to Mount Sinai and God comes and descends on a cloud and he's about to give them the 10 commandments and lay out to them the law and the governance of their nation, the new nation of Israel that he's made and the people that he's called into himself. And it says in Exodus 19 verse 1, "On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. There, Israel encamped before the mountain. Verse three says, while Moses went up to God, the Lord called him out of the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among my peoples and all the earth is mine. Verse six, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, and there are words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came, called all the elders before the people and set them before them the words. All the people gathered together, and and that the Lord had spoken, we will do, they said. And Moses reported these words. And verse nine says, and the Lord said to Moses, behold, get this, I am coming to you in a thick cloud and, and what is it that, they, that will happen? It says in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and they may also believe in you and believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go tell the people, right? Consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. Verse 11 says, and be ready for the third day. And on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set its limits. And then get this, verse 12, you shall set limits for the people all around, saying take care not to go up into the mountain or even touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him. He shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a loud blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people. They consecrated themselves. They washed their garments. And then he said, be ready for the third day. And in verse 16, it says on the third day, there were, there were thunders. There, there was lightning. There was a thick cloud. A very loud trumpet blast. All the people Trembled. Verse 17 And Moses brought the people out to the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in a fire. And smoke of it went up like a mountain of a kiln, like from the mountain, like a smoke of a kiln. And the whole mountain trembled or shook greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, almost like a foghorn blasting out, Moses spoke and God answered him in a thunder and the Lord came down on Mount Sinai. Did you get the Lord came down? This is extraordinary. He came down to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain and Moses went up and the people were frightened in many respects. You could skip over now to verse 18 of chapter 20. 20 verse 18 this is after God has given them and spoken the words of the law in the Ten Commandments, which are most well known to them. And it says in verse 18, And when the people saw the thunder, or the voices, and the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood afar off. And They said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you and that you may not sin. And the people stood afar off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Does, does that set a scene? <laughs> that, that sets a scene farther than I could have ever described to you. An extraordinary, yes, but terrifying thing. There's these barriers and limits. Do not go to the mountain. Do not touch. God is saying, I am holy. This word holy is a a challenging word for us even today in our modern English. What is that? It's a very deep word. Holiness. We have to think without sin. That's part of it. The word holy comes from a Hebrew word, kadosh, which means to cut, to cut something. The root there is to cut, it's to separate. So you cut something and you separate it. There is a piece that's separated that is wholly separate, wholly different, wholly other. So to say God is holy is to say that he is wholly unlike anything else. He's separate. And there is this clear distinction at the mountain, this, this separate, powerful God and the people that he is called into himself. There is a clear, sinful, and holy distinction. There is a separation. There is a creator and a creation, right? And on the third day, God descends, the scene is quite extraordinary. And, and yet this fascinating phrase, it mentions a couple of times I pointed out to you, the Lord came down, right? This always strikes me, this is like, this is what really sets the Christian faith apart. And so often if you study ancient religions and other religions from the world, they, you often have different sets of religions that describe different means and ways in which we can reach the top of the mountain. Right? <laughs> you can ascend through these steps, through this manner, through these works, through this way. You can find nirvana, you can find whatever it might be. We work our ways, we achieve a way, we find the path to the top of the mountain and yet where we find God. Yet here it is that God is the one who comes down to us. Christianity teaches us that it is our God who has come down and has been taken on our flesh and dwells among us, not the other way around. Isn't that that incredible? really sets it apart, and here I've just, God is the one who comes down and speaks to his people. God intervenes. People were afraid, and then literally, Moses speak to us, for we cannot bear to hear the voice of God again. And so, we have that extraordinary scene, and yes, there is much to preach on that, but we, we go back to Hebrews 12 and you find that that's really in a nutcase, in a nutshell, right there, right, right in, in those first couple of verses, what he's talking about. This incredible, just crazy scene that's before it that the people, the Hebrew people, would have been well familiar with. They were so terrifying. Even Moses himself had to, did you get that? As the people drew away, Moses himself had to go near to the darkness and to the mountain. And it said, Moses himself said, I tremble with fear. And yet, it doesn't end there, thankfully, right? Isn't that where the preacher begins, right? In the doom and the gloom, in the fire. You didn't know this was a fire and brimstone message, right, did you? Okay, Um, so you, you get that aspect, then it switches very quickly, almost whiplash to this other scene where you're just like, what? Look at verse 22. But you have come to a different mountain, Mount Zion, Mount Zion and to the city of this living God, there's this festal gathering, this festive, this party atmosphere, this celebration, this wedding ceremony, it's extraordinary. Zion's a very deep word. Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe it's just kind of a Christian term that we're familiar, we use all the time. But even Zion can be, uh, what is Zion? What, is, what are we talking about when he mentions Mount Zion? Mount Zion is in many ways uh, used to refer to the location of the city of God, which is the place of Jerusalem. The mount upon which Jerusalem, the city, is built upon is known as Zion, the place of Zion. There was these psalms of ascent uh, that the Hebrew people would speak, singing of going to Zion. And as Val was mentioning, the praises and the hallelujahs that were coming to Zion. They would sing this in the psalms. And so Zion became to mean many different things. Uh, It's almost kind of like represented, um, kind of like even the way we would speak about the US and Washington DC. That At DC, it's a larger area, uh, and yet in DC, you have different nicknames for DC. Even I've already done it, Washington DC, or DC, or the District, or the District of Columbia, or the capital, or the capital city. All refers to the same place. There's also the Capitol building within the D.C. area proper and and there's also the central person that lives in D.C. which is the president, right? And so that person lives in that city and so this sense of Zion as this larger area encapsulating this Jerusalem capital city within Zion and then this temple that's there within it and then the very point of this being the most important place on the face of the planet is the fact that God dwelt and descends and lives in a sense his presence resides there on that temple and that place. So Zion becomes a very An encapsulating word for the dwelling place of God. Yet here in this passage, and yet even beyond it, it starts to unite two things. Two things that Zion represents. An earthly Zion that yes, I've been to Jerusalem, gotten to go to those places and been and visited and walked on the temple mount. It's extraordinary and yet that representation of an earthly temple and of an earthly Zion is only partially the picture that we see here. If you look at verse 22, it talks about a heavenly Jerusalem. This earthly picture and a heavenly Jerusalem, this curtain opening up to see the innumerable angels celebrating and yet the church and the assembly of God joining in that celebration. It's this uni- uniting of two separate things, a, a holy thing and a-, and a corrupted thing now being brought together, the holiness of God in heaven being brought and joined together with the earth together in the new heavens, in the new earth it has almost somewhat of a, uh, of a flavor of eschatology and the end times of what will happen, where are we going? And maybe some of you enjoy those things and maybe it's because people are always coming up to me and saying, you need to preach in the book of Revelation. And I, right? I feel like there's that sense of like what is and there's an intrigue and there's an understanding and it's like sometimes it scares me of trying to figure out and understand it all. But this idea of this Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, these things coming together where we see this this picture of a festive gathering together. Revelation 21.10, it says, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. Revelation 21, and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. There's a vision that John has in Revelation where he has the, the city of the heavenly Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God descending upon earth. This sense of the earthly corruption and the created things will be shaken loose. The chaff will be burned away and blown away and the wheat will remain. The, the things of evil, of wrong, of bad will be dissolved as it says in Second Peter. Like a consuming fire comes and burns up the dross and the gold remains. Uh, Hebrews 12 mentions this to us. Verse 27 and 28 Kind of towards the end of Hebrews 12, this phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. It's like you're shaking a tree, <laughs> the apples remain, and then you burn up the tree, what's left or whatever, this, this sense of shaking something. The, that is the things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. The things that cannot be shaken. And then it tells you that you people are the people who've received an unshakable kingdom of God that we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And then it uses this picture of a voice that cries out and screams and tells you and yells like a trumpet that shook Mount Sinai, a mountain shaking in an earthquake and terror, a loud trumpet, and yet God says in verse 26 of Hebrews 12 that he will shake the earth once more. And when he shakes the earth, those who are created and outside of the unshakable kingdom of God will be shaken and removed and dissolved. But this picture, like I said, is mentioned in Second Peter 3 as well. Kind of this sense of the elements of the earth, the things that are evil and wrong and corrupt will be dissolved and burned up. And yet the new heavens and the new earth will become new in quality and be better than we ever could imagine as God descends in this merging of heaven and earth and we experience the future that we have all to look forward to. There's newly created bodies living on a new earth, enjoying a new heaven, void of sin and worshiping God. This is our future, this is the hope. It's exciting yet terrifying. Do you sense the extraordinary joy that longs before us and yet also this terrifying fear which is I think a proper way to encounter God. It's a very different atmosphere in Mount Zion. It's a, it's a place that we come to that's feasting. It's like a, I don't know, I think of it like hill fest that we get to celebrate on the hill. This celebration is joy and singing and happiness and worship, the people of the living God. There's angels, there's the citizens of heavens, the church of God that are there, the people who find their names written that are enrolled in heaven and yet there's God the judge there all the same but it's not the same barrier but somehow that barrier has been removed for God is still the judge but we find ourselves within his own city worshiping him in freedom and peace and joy something must have happened in order to make this all possible how is it possible that we go from Mount Sinai in the Old Covenant and the condemnation of our sin, pointing out to where we have fallen short from the Holy God, to arriving at Mount Zion where we find ourselves worshiping God in a festal gathering? How is it that we enter Mount Zion? How is it that in verse 20 says, but you have come to this place? How is it that we come here? How is it that I, I am invited to this place, this this party, you could say. I don't know if you heard or if you saw it was a video of a, a little short clip of Alistair Begg preaching uh, I don't know when it was exactly but it was just a clip going around before uh, Easter and it's a story of the thief on the cross that he just is telling mid-sermon and for some reason it went viral in a sense and I saw it and it just uh, it gave me smile and encouraged my heart as well and I thought of it while I was preaching through this. And he, he says a little something like this. He says if, you know, basically the classic statement, if you were to die today, where would you go? Or how would you get into heaven? Or those kinds of things, you know. And, and he said, you know, you think about it, that the thief on the cross, right? How, how did he get in, right? He didn't, he didn't know, didn't go to Sunday school all his life. You know, he, he didn't have a perfect definition for justification or the holiness of God. And he didn't, he didn't have all the answers to all the Sunday school stories. And yet the thief on the cross you know, he, how is it that he comes to the gates of heaven and, and Peter comes up to him and said, well, how do you get in here? Like, who, who are you? And the guy's confused and he doesn't know and he doesn't know the answers and, and, and they're looking down through the list and trying to find his name on the roll and they're struggling to find and he's feeling awkward, not sure what to answer and he doesn't know the answers to any of the questions they're asking and so he's asked, well, how do you find yourself here? And he only answers he can come up with is the man on the middle cross that I could come. Jesus said, I, I could come. I know that guy and he knows me. Right? How is it that you come to Mount Zion? How, how is it that we find ourselves in this celebration? There's certainly nothing I've done, sir. It's, it's that guy over there who, who, who knows who I am. He's my mediator. He's the go between the gracious one who you could say like a gracious host welcomes in the guests who are on the outside who are not sure if they feel like they belong here. You know, if you've ever come and made reservations at a restaurant and you've come and they can't find your name on the list and it's a very awkward feeling and you, I made reservations, says, sir, I don't have your name here. I don't, I, I, it's not here. You might show up to this incredible uh, restaurant or you could say incredible wedding or, or this incredible celebration that you find yourself longing to. You, you feel as if you don't belong in that place. You feel as if th- <laughs> that, that place is far too good for me I don't know how I belong here. I don't know the answers to the question. I can hardly believe that my name, that I could even find myself here. Certainly my name isn't on that, that guest list and you come to the guest book and the attendant, his name's Pete, right? He, he comes to you and he he looks for your name and it's taking a little longer than you expected. You get nervous and you're feeling as if you don't belong here and maybe this is a mistake after all and, and maybe I'm not really the one that should be here and you start to make excuses and you look up and you see someone who's looking at you and you see the person of Jesus and he, he says your name. He knows your name. and He knows the situation is awkward for you and he comes over and, and the groom comes over and he mediates the situation, right? He puts his arm around Peter right, and he says, come on, don't you, don't you know my friend Jordan? Don't, don't you know him? He, his name's right here. He's the mediator between this new and living way to enter into the presence of God and to enjoy the assembly of the saints forever. To take someone like me, this, this sinner who doesn't belong, and to make him to something far more far more beautiful from a sinner into a saint all because of the blood of Jesus and the person of Jesus who represents me who welcomes me in and invites me into something far better who speaks a far better word over the situation than anything that's ever come before a much better word than it's ever been spoken for he is the living word of God the word made flesh He speaks a word of adoption and redemption in the place of condemnation or ostracization. The law spoke one word over me, guilty, guilty, guilty. The word of Jesus in his blood speaks forgiven. Guilty I am, but forgiving he is. This is what he speaks, the Sinai and a Zion. But how is it that we find ourselves coming to Zion and welcomed in? It's because of verse 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new way, a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We find this story in the Old Testament in Genesis 4. I don't have time to read all of it, but in Genesis chapter 4, we find the story of Cain and Abel. Cain becomes angry because his uh, worship is not received. God warns him sin is crouching at the door. Cain comes and murders and rises up and kills his brother in anger. This is directly the first story we read after chapter 3, which is the fall and the entrance of sin. We see murder take place. And verse 9, verse 9 of chapter 4 says, "And the Lord said to Cain, "Where is Abel your brother?" And he said, I I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? (laughs) Verse 10, and the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. He personifies this voice of the blood of Abel. This blood that is given, this blood that is shed, this blood that is shed out of murder and anger and rage, a blood that cries out for judgment cries out for God's judgment where Abel's blood bore the witness of Cain indicating guilt upon us all Christ's blood on the other hand is one forgiveness crying out that the people of the new covenant are no longer guilty having been cleansed completely from their sin Abel says guilty Jesus says grace The blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Yes, I, I don't deserve this reception and this receiving of God's grace, but God demands this, and he supplies the means by which we are saved. The voice of Abel's blood, I feel, is in some ways is the voice of us all. It's the voice of the entirety of humanity, the voice crying out for justice, for salvation and help, for redemption from ourselves Yet in the same manner, we heap accusing judgment on one another. We heap guilt on each other that this group's fault, that group's fault. Today, everyone's guilty. Today's world, everybody's worthy to be canceled. (laughs) Abel's blood speaks a word of condemnation upon Cain and upon all of mankind. But Jesus' blood speaks a better word. The voice of Christ His blood calls out instead from the cross of guilty and condemnation. Jesus says from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Like man or the man, we, mankind, murdered the man, the son of man, Jesus. His blood spilled out onto the ground. It pours down from his brow. It pools at the foot of the cross. His blood drips down the street of the Via Dolorosa. And by the blood of Jesus, that same blood washes me clean, washes me white as snow. His blood washes away the guilt and the shame and replaces it with love and grace and new life. Romans 5, 9, Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. The blood of Jesus comes not to condemn the world but to save it. It's the precious blood of Jesus that speaks a better word, not of condemnation but of redemption. And the song we always sing or we've sung recently, thank you Jesus for the blood applied. Thank you Jesus you've washed me white. Thank you Jesus you have saved my life, brought me from darkness of Mount Sinai into glorious light of Mount Zion. We're no longer a people of Mount Sinai. We come to Mount Zion hear the voice of the blood of Jesus crying out love and salvation for all who would hear the voice of salvation drowns out the voice of condemnation the question for you today is that voice speaking to you today for he warns in verse 25, if you refuse this voice that's speaking to you, a greater judgment is coming upon you. For he held the people accountable on earthly Mount Sinai, far more will he hold you accountable from heavenly, uh, heavenly Zion and heavenly Jerusalem. The voice of God shook Mount Sinai, he will shake the earth once again. So receive the unshakable kingdom of God. Receive it, take it, as a free gift of God's grace and his love. The grace that Lars spoke about earlier, the heart of God in a rainbow painted above us all, God's love for you. And in response to that, we're then called to in verse 28, therefore, verse 28, therefore let us, right? Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and let us offer to God acceptable worship. Let us respond by praising him and singing praises to him And in in reverence and awe. So we we must be careful to not refuse the unshakable kingdom of God. We must receive it. And then we we must respond to it in worship, having received it. And yet our response is done in reverence. Because it ends in a curious manner. Did Did you notice this while we were reading? Verse 18 begins with a blazing fire and then we find that after we've received, we've come into Mount Zion, we find that in verse 29, he ends with the fact in verse 29 that our God is a consuming fire. I, I don't know about you, but I thought maybe we would end with a nice cuddly lamb at the end, right? You know? And even in Revelation, we have the lion and the lamb, as we sung about earlier, the lion of Judah, right? The victor, the power. God is a consuming fire. We, it's as if we've come full circle. It's as if... It's the same God at Mount Sinai, Sinai as it is on Mount Zion, is it not? God is holy in the Old Testament and he's holy in the New and he's holy in your life as well. The difference is the blood of Jesus in between. Paul Tripp says the holiness of God should frighten you while at the same time it should give you rest. Isaiah 6, three: holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. God is holy. Fear him and worship him with reverence and awe, a holy awe at God's otherliness, that he is wholly other than you and I, and yet it is that God who has come down on Sinai has come down in the flesh at Advent and Christmas. He has taken the cross for you and for me at Easter and he is raised from the dead and he is coming again to bring you home. This is the God that we worship. It's a holy God. It's a beautiful and wonderful, hopeful future. I wanna close by reading a verse from Revelation 19. Revelation 19 says in verse 6, it speaks about, you'll see even similar language that's used in Hebrews and in the Old Testament in this, as we long for what is to come. Uh, a, a festal gathering, a future kingdom of God that we will receive, what is it? Revelation 19 verse 6, and I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of the mighty peals of thunder. Does that sound familiar? Crying out, as as, uh, our worship leader gave us this morning, hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her clothes to keep for herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed or happy are you, are those who are invited. You're invited because of the blood of Jesus. You're invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, to that Mount Zion celebration. You're you're welcome to come on in. Jesus knows your name and he loves you. The marriage supper of the Lamb, and and he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his, what's the response? I fell down to his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant, this angel, and you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus, worship God. That's what I want to close with, this sense of worshiping God. We're actually going to be closing with communion today. They're located here on the sides of the stage this morning. We're going to be closing with communion and then right after that, we're going to sing a final song and it's a new song. We actually sing some new songs this morning. It's a new song about the holiness of God and I want you to consider the words as we sing and consider the thoughts as we come into the time of communion and I want you to consider the beauty that we find presented before us this morning of who God is and His holiness and yet how He has welcomed us into His presence to come before a table and to dine at this marriage supper with Him, the great and mighty, all-holy Creator God. Let me close in prayer. Father, we thank You for these words. We come before Your table at this time and we find ourselves humbled. We find ourselves in awe. We ask, God, that You would work and You would move in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.